All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host. Tonight, we've got stuff. We have an event took place yesterday, UFC on ESPN plus 47. It was a thing. Oy. It was a thing. But this coming week, we have UFC 263, which is fairly stacked. In fact, it has three five-round fights on it. Two of them title fights, one a non-title fight, non-main event five-round fight, because, eh, what the heck. We also had a boxing exhibition that just wrapped up before I started recording this with Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul. I suppose I can have a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, and then other news of the week, uh, such as it was. There was there's some stuff. There is some stuff going on, so we can have a conversation about some of that. All right. If you like this video, video, audio, there's no video component. If you like this show, please subscribe on whatever your podcast platform of choice happens to be. Please do interact with the product. A like, a review, a comment if that's allowed, a sub uh, I already mentioned, a share. That's the other one. Share us around, please. I'm, I would appreciate any and all that you guys can do to support the show in those particular ways. means a lot. Uh, thank you very much. All right, let's move on. UFC on ESPN Plus 47 last night. Your main event, Jarzinho Rosenstrike defeated Augusto Sakai via TKO at 4.59 of the first. Thankfully, this was shaping up to be a snoozer of a fight. <laughs> uh, not a whole lot happened. Eventually, Sakai's habit of only circling the same direction got him into trouble along the fence. Rosenstrike dropped him with a right, pounded him out on the ground. Uh, Rose. <sighs> Rosenstrike is such a weird guy to get a handle on. If you think about his record, it's a, it's 12 and 2, which is certainly not bad. His only losses are to Francis Ngannou and Cyril Gan. But if you look at what is his best win, and I mean this in all sincerity, his best win is probably the Alistair Overeem fight, where he scored a knockout at 4:56 of the fifth after losing every round, including the fifth prior to the knockout. If it's not that, it's his knockout win in the second round over Washed JDS. He's got other wins in the UFC. Some fairly impressive if we're talking about how they played out. Uh, he Again, some of his knockouts have been fairly crowd-pleasing. But he just... Again, it's, it's hard to get a handle on this guy from, from an analytical standpoint. Uh... Again, this was not a very good fight. He was coming up... His fight with Serial Gone was terrible. It was just a terrible fight. It was boring. Like, criminally boring. God, that was terrible. Uh, and this fight was not looking all that much better. But when he chose to go, he, he's got fast hands, and he's got a fair amount of technique, especially for a heavyweight. Uh, I, I just don't know where he lands in the scheme of the heavyweight division. Um... As for Sakai, see, he is coming off back-to-back -back losses now. He lo he was TKO'd by Alistair Overeem in the fifth round of their fight in September of last year, and now in the first uh, by Rosenstrike here. He's going the wrong way, and it's not that he can't fix it, but he's got to make some adjustments. Again, thankfully, the fight, again, it ended quickly. It was not, it was not terribly good. 
Uh, your co-main event, also not terribly good. Marcin Tabora defeats Walt Harris via TKO punches, also at 406 of the first. Harris cracked Tabora pretty solidly a few times, but Tabora was able to survive. Clinch up, get things to the ground, got the back, pounded out Harris. That The book on Harris at this point is kind of written. And that's a dangerous thing if you're a heavyweight. Especially when it's this easy. Harris is a handful in the first round or so for anybody. Especially the first, you know, three minutes. But if you can deal with that, especially if you can get him down, he's not great there. Uh, this should get Tabora a shot, not at the title, but somebody in the top space of the division. Uh, you could do Tabora... I don't think Tabor and Rosenstreich have fought. You could do them. Uh, again, just kind of by way of thought experiment. I mean, look, Tabora got into a really bad spot for a while. Uh, not that long ago, he was 1-4 in his last five, with losses to Fabricio Verdum, Derek Lewis, Shamil Abdurahimov, and Augusto Sakai. Since then, he's won five in a row. Uh, three decisions and two finishes. He's... He's enjoying a little bit of a renaissance slightly later in his career, and, you know, God bless him for it. I'm not going to... I'm not going to fault him. He's figured out a way to win, and he's maintained relevance more or less at uh, heavyweight. He was, I think, 11th coming into this. Um, we've got another... There's another couple of heavyweight fights still coming up to wait for a few things to shake out. Uh, but Sakai is going to drop. Sakai was 9. Harris is going to drop. Harris was 8. Hmm. Yeah, I actually... Tabor and Rosenstrick might make some sense. Um, again, you've got Volkov and Blades. Uh, they're not fighting each other, but uh, Volkov's got a fight coming up. Blaze just lost to Derek Lewis. And a lot of these guys have fought each other. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, you, again, it, it's kind of rough. So we'll, there's a few other fights that need to shake out before we can really figure out what's up at heavyweight. So we still got some time, but uh, Tabora should be fighting somebody, somebody in that like seven to three space, give or take. All right, um, we're going to go fairly quickly through the rest of these. Let's see, Roman Delidze defeated Laureano Staropoli. This fight sucked. Good grief, this fight sucked. Um, Delidze was able to clinch Staropoli continuously, got around to his back, got a rear waist lock, and Staropoli was unable to do pretty much anything for huge stretches of the fight from there. There might have been an argument for the ref intervening and breaking them up, but I'm not sure. Like, having the back standing is a fairly significant position. So you can't just... Again, I'm not saying there's no argument here, but you need to have a fair amount of reason to, re to remove that position from a fighter. Uh, look, this was really about Staropoli's lack of ability to fight hands, to make space, to get out of the clinch. And if you can't get out of the clinch, it is not beholden on Delidze to fight in a way that accommodates you, and it's not beholden on the ref to save you from your own stylistic failings. Uh, yeah, the fight wasn't good, but... Uh, that's... Again, 
Learn to hand fight, buddy. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Best fight of the night. One of the better fights of the year. Santiago Ponzinibbio defeated Miguel Baeza via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the board. I seem to recall... I was 29-28 Baeza. I thought Miguel had won the second. But I don't... I was okay with 29-28 for either man. Baeza has a great first round. He outlands Ponzinibbio. He's finding good punches. He's uh, chewing him up a little bit with leg kicks. Second round starts more of the same, and then Ponzinibbio wakes up. Starts applying pressure, landing some of his own leg kicks, good flurries, finding punches. These guys both jabbed each other up. Third round, Ponzinibbio's round, but a war. Uh, great fight. Highly recommend if you didn't see it. Uh, heck of a fight from both guys. Ponzinibbio gets back on the winning side of things. And Baeza, sometimes this happens with younger fighters when they take a step up. Hopefully he learns from the experience and is able to improve. But, again, really, really good fight. Middleweight, let's see, Gregory Rodriguez, def Rodriguez, excuse me, defeated Dushko Todorovic for unanimous decision, 230-27, 29-28. Uh, Todorovic has an interesting kind of defensive style. He does a lot of leaning and rolling with punches. Which makes it look like he gets hit more often and harder than he does, but he's still got... He's got other issues he's got to work on. A decent debut from uh, Rodriguez. Let's see, women's flyweight Montana De La Rosa defeated Lariani Lipsky via TKO. This was a gr just ground-and-pound punch. I think she was in full mount at the at 4.27 of the second. These two cut each other up, but Lipsky's takedown defense and work off of her back is still a major liability. Uh... Montana De La Rosa really needed this win. She'd been on a pretty serious skid. So good for her. Let's see. Heavyweight. Alir Latifi defeated Tanner Bozer via split decision. 29-28. 29-27 for Bozer and then 29-28 for Latifi. This fight sucked. 29-28 uh, for either man is perfectly defensible. I don't even object to 29-27 given how the second round went. Um, terrible fight. Another good fight, Muslim Salikov defeated Francisco Trinaldo of the unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. This was a bit of a barn burner. These two got out, if not for Ponzinibbio and Baezia, this was your fight of the night. This was a really good fight. Trinaldo, a little bit long in the tooth, but the man is an old war horse, and he comes, he comes to fight. Salikov did a lot of Salikov things. This, this was a fun fight. This was a really good fight. Um... Kamuela Kirk defeated Makwan Amir Khani via unanimous decision. 30-27, which I didn't agree with. And then 229-28 for him, which I... Much more defensible. Uh, the 30-27 felt weird. But, you know, good on Kirk. He shut down Amir Khani. And Amir Khani continues to be kind of a one-round wonder. Uh, he... I don't know what it is. If it's stylistic, if it's something to do with his cardio or his training or whatnot. But... That guy will be a ball of fire for about four minutes, and then after that, everything slows down and becomes manageable. He got some takedowns in every round, but boy, did he do nothing with them. I mean, nothing. That was... You gotta do something with the position, guy. You really do. Let's see. Alain Patrick and Mason Jones went to a no contest via an accidental eye poke in the second. Unfortunate for Jones, who was beating the crap out of Patrick the longer that went. But he poked him in the eye. No controversy here. You poked the dude in the eye. And the guy said, I can't see, I can't fight, we're done. Uh, Mason Jones has a very deceptive UFC record. He came into the UFC 10-0, lost his first fight, but gave the 
put in a very, very commendable effort before losing. And then here, clearly winning this fight. I mean, again, just... The longer this went, the worse it was getting for Patrick and then the eye poke. And he did that to himself. You know, don't poke the guy in the eye. You don't have this problem, but... Whew. Again, sucks for Jones, but... He let... He looks good coming out of this to anyone who watched that fight, because he was the better man, clearly. Uh, let's see. Manon Foyro de defeated Tabitha Ricci via TKO three minutes of the second. Ricci took this fight on less than a week's notice. Normally, I think she fights at either 115 or 105. She looked much, much smaller, and Foyro beat the crap out of her. This was one-way traffic from the jump. Uh, Foyro has beat up a couple of cans. I, I, I shouldn't say cans. She's beaten overmatched opposition, and she's looked like a beast. Um, she needs to fight. She was supposed to fight um, Marina Moroz, which I still tend to think she would have won, but might have been a better. Uh, we would have learned something about her after that fight. This one again, it's just it was more of the same. Uh, I I kind of want to see her again against someone little bit higher up the food chain. So maybe they can meet, remake the Moreau's fight. Because I don't think she should be fighting somebody at the top end of the division. But she needs to be fighting someone who has a winning UFC record. If nothing else. Uh, Sean Woodson defeated Yusuf Zalal via split decision. 29-28. Uh, sure, this was a fight. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. And kicking everything off, Claudio Poyes. Uh, Defeated Jordan Levitt for unanimous decision, 29-28s across the board. The first round and a half of this was pretty fun. Uh, we got some really good scrambles out of both guys, some really interesting jujitsu positions and work. And then it just kind of kept slowing down, kept slowing down, kept slowing down. And by the end of it, it was, eh. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot more than that. So that was the event. This was a ver This was very much a filler event. I think that was fairly obvious, but... Thank you to everyone who followed along with my coverage, who read it after the fact. Either way, I don't care. I'm grateful for all the support you give. Thank you very much. You can find that in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com if you are so inclined. All right, moving on, because we've got a bigger event this week, UFC 263. Your main event is a rematch between Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori for the middleweight title. Vittori was Adesanya's second opponent in the UFC, and they fought to a split decision, uh, which Adesanya won. Vittori has not lost since then. I'm fairly sure of that. Let me double check. Yeah, not lost since. Won five in a row, defeating Cesar Fajaya, Andrew Sanchez, Carl Robertson, Jack Hermanson, and Kevin Holland. Uh, he finished Robertson. All the others have been decisions. Um... I'd rather this was Adesanya Whitaker, but I understand the timing didn't quite work out for that fight, for that particular fight to take place. So the the UFC schedule is part of the equation here. Adesanya wanted to fight around now. Whitaker had a fight too recently; didn't uh, the turnaround didn't quite work for him. I get it. I again, I would rather we just wait, but. There's a lot of personalities, there's a lot of gears involved, so we get what we get. Uh, which I can 
kind of live with, all things considered. Um, how does this fight go? I think five rounds favors Adesanya. I think that is true, I wouldn't say universally, but most of the time. Vittori is a hard-charging guy. He's got decent striking, not great, but he's very good about getting into a clinch, and he's good about getting takedowns and working from top position. Uh, he's good about making fights close and grindy and ugly, and he's good about finding ways to win those fights. The big question that's going to come out of this is, can Vittori do what Jan Blahovich did, which is kind of the blueprint everyone's going to be looking at if they have to fight Adesanya? Because getting into a straight striking battle with Adesanya is not really a recipe for success. So, the big takeaway from that fight with Blahovich. Israel Adesanya's takedown defense and fence wrestling, in general, is very good. It is very good. He is very, very difficult to take down against the fence. He is very good about getting back up along the fence. Wrestling along the fence and wrestling in open space are not the same thing. I don't know the degree to which the size difference that Blahovich presented factored into that. Marvin Vittori is certainly not a small middleweight, but he is not Jan Blahovich, who's a little bit of a fire hydrant in terms of his body structure, in terms of his uh, uh, body type. I and I don't mean to say that he's short either. Blahovich is a you know, fairly tall man, but he's again he's thick. And Vittori's not quite got that same body type. I I will not be surprised if Vittori wins. You know, I want to say that fairly clearly. Vittori's style of fighting, especially if he's able to get takedowns in open space, could present problems for Adesanya. That's not a space he's, again, shown a whole lot of uh, aptitude in. Uh, I'm sure he's working on it. I... I'm sure he and his coaches have identified that this is a bit of an issue for him. Especially against a guy who's primarily going to look to ground him like Vittori will. I I think Vittori is going to charge hard early. I don't know that he's going to be able to sustain that pace. Uh, we've seen him fight for five rounds, but fighting five rounds at a pace you can dictate is not the same, is not the same thing. Um... I'm going to lean Adesanya. I just... I have a hard time picking against him if it, when it comes to actually picking. Again, I'm not going to be shocked if Vittori wins. Vittori is a very good fighter. Um, he's only lost, what, twice in his career? Once the aforementioned fight to Adesanya, and then... Okay, he's lost... Sorry, he's lost four times. Uh, he lost his professional debut. He lost once more on the regional scene. Then his second fight in the UFC, he lost to Shoeface, Antonio Carlos Jr. Then he fought to a draw with Omar Akhmedov and had the split decision loss to Adesanya. So he's, this guy doesn't lose often. Uh, in fact, again, since 2000, he lost once in 2014. So starting in 15, he's lost twice, both in the UFC. Uh, so I will not be surprised if he wins. But I, I do feel okay favoring Adesanya to pick this one up. I think he's, I think Adesanya is just a really tough fight at middleweight. Again, not unbeatable, but you're going to have to deal with a guy that long 
who's that good about faking and fainting you into pro and getting reads, who's that hard to take down against the fence. Uh, that's that's just a handful for anybody. So, uh, again, picking out Asanya for whatever that's worth, but I won't be surprised uh, if Vittori pulls that off. All right, uh, let's see here. Co-main event, a rematch for the middleweight, excuse me, for the UFC flyweight title, Davison Figueredo, your champion, and Brandon Moreno. Uh, again, this is a rematch. These two fought to a, oh, was it a majority draw? Crap, I need to. <laughs> uh, it was UFC 256. I think it was a majority draw. Yeah, it was a majority. There was one scorecard for Figueredo. Uh, the deciding factor in that case being a uh, an inadvertent groin uh, strike from Figueredo to Moreno in the third. And the ref took a point, which I didn't object to, but uh, that's why we got a draw. 48-46 for Figueredo was, I believe, my scorecard. Uh, might even have given him four rounds instead of three, but it was a great fight. That was one of the best fights of, the, of 2020. It was a... Again, brilliant fight from both guys. Guts, heart, back and forth. On the feet, on the ground, in the clinch. Uh, really, really good fight. I don't have a reason to pick against Davis and Figueredo, and I kind of need one if I'm going to do so. Moreno a little bit overperformed in that, and Figueredo a little bit underperformed. And it, it, it led to the perfect kind of alchemy for... A, again, a genuinely great fight. If you haven't seen their first fight, please do yourself a favor, look it up. It came out that Figueredo was a little bit sick. Uh, and he took that fight on very... Sh that fight came together very, very quickly. Those two both had fights just like a few weeks before that. Uh, with now having time and assuming no major health issues on either side... Uh, I, I feel fairly confident picking Davis and Figueredo. Again, I'm not going to be shocked if Moreno wins. Uh, I'm, I'm just not going to be shocked by someone who is that good succeeding at the highest level. But I'm, o I'm okay picking Figueredo to win. Figueredo's got power. He goes to the body. They can both fight everywhere. Moreno, again, this is a very evenly matched fight in most ways on paper. Uh, I... I just feel okay picking Davis and Figueredo. I, again, I need a pretty significant reason if I'm going to pick against that guy at flyweight. He's he's just a marauding bruiser who can fight anywhere and has no problems putting you putting you out either with his fists, his elbows, or a choke or wherever. Uh, this should be a really again first fight, great. Hopefully, we get a similar quality fight because again, who could possibly object to that? Uh, let's see. Next up, your featured fight, a five-round welterweight fight between Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz. These two were supposed to be the main event. Uh, where was it? Where were, uh, UFC 262. Is that the main event for that? No, but they were feet. They were going to be a five-round co-main for it without a title. Got got bumped to this after a minor injury. Uh, I believe it was to Diaz. Um, okay. Look, I might piss a few uh, Nate Diaz fans off with this, but I have a really hard time... Uh, <laughs> I have a really hard time picking him here. Now, that doesn't mean he can't win. 
But Leon Edwards hasn't lost since he fought Kamaru Usman in 2015. He's coming off of a no contest with Bilal Muhammad that was due to an accidental eye poke. Uh, in a fight, he was winning quite handily. Again, it was in the second round, but he... Edwards looked really good in the first round of that fight. Uh, he looked really good. Diaz hasn't fought since he was stopped by uh, by the doctor in the Jorge Masvidal fight. There's a couple of things about this that lead me to favor Leon Edwards. Um, one is kind of general activity. Two, Leon Edwards is really good about half positions, usually in the clinch. He's good about finding... A, a position that is theoretically equal, but is not equal because he's better at it than you. And he's really good about landing elbows out of the clinch. I tend to think we're going to get something along the lines of... Uh, we're going to get some kind of cut-related shenanigans. I think he's going to slice Diaz up. Um, and I tend to think that might force a, the doctor's intervention again. Uh that's just kind of that, that's just kind of how I see this going. Now again, maybe Diaz is able to avoid the worst of that, and maybe he's able to make Edwards fight at a pace that is not sustainable for him. But I feel pretty good picking Leon Edwards here. Let's see another welterweight fight up next: Damian Maya and Bilal Muhammad. Thought Maya retired. I could have sworn he announced his retirement after. He got knocked out by Burns. Yeah, I guess not. Um, Muhammad's a very Muhammad's a very good fighter. He's tough. He's got a heck of a chin. He's he's pretty good everywhere. If he gets taken down, he'll be in trouble. And sentimentally, I'm rooting for Damian Maya because the man's 43. And still has, you know, he's still able to kind of go out there and get it done. Uh, and I've watched, you know, Damian Maya's entire UFC career. So I'm, I've, I'm certainly a little bit sentimentally attached to him. Not that I dislike Muhammad at all. I don't have anything against the guy. Uh, I tend to favor Muhammad. I don't think Maya's chin is where it needs to be these days. But uh, I'll be rooting for Maya to pull off one more... You know, single leg into the fence, pull guard, sweep, get the back, choke him out. <laughs> uh, and kicking off the main card, Paul Craig will fight Jamal Hill. Uh, Craig coming off of a win over Mauricio Shogun Hua. He TKO'd him in the second. He hasn't lost since he fought Alonzo Menafield. So on a, he's on a four-fight unbeaten streak. Uh, Hill... Was a little bit newer to the UFC. Had four fights in the UFC as well. Uh, he debuted in 2020. Let's see, three and oh, sorry, excuse me, three. Uh, beat Darko Stasic, had a no contest. Somebody failed a drug test. And then he beat Ovin St. Pru in his last fight. I'm going to lean towards Hill, but Craig's a tough out, man. He's not the most technical guy, but if you get if you get tied up on the mat, especially with him, he'll give you problems. I'm okay leaning towards Hill, but uh, that's you know lower level light heavyweight, so could kind of go either way. 
How are we doing on the prelims here? Really good fight to main event the prelims, actually. Drew Dober and Brad Riddell. Uh, I'm a pretty big believer in Brad Riddell's upside. I mean, he's he's gotten into a few wars in the UFC that maybe you kind of think he didn't need to. <laughs> but I he's a handful. He's a really good fighter. Uh, not to say that Drew Dober's some kind of slouch, but I Dober's a striker, Riddell's a striker. We could get something kind of fun there. Let's see, light heavyweight Eric Anders and Darren Stewart. Um, I struggle to pick Eric Anders at this point, man. These two fought. Uh, this is a rematch. These two fought back in March. Uh, went to a. We got a no contest after. After Anders landed an illegal knee. This is like the week after. Um, Yawn and Sterling. <laughs> Real close proximity to it. Um. And Anders was doing... Pre that was a little bit back and forth up until that point. Uh, I'm going to pick Stewart again. I, I just struggle to pick Anders. But we might get something... De their first fight, for as long as it lasted, was at least somewhat entertaining. Uh, let's see. Lauren Murphy will fight Joanne Calderwood. One imagines the winner of this will get the next shot at the belt. Or if not the next one, certainly very short, very close to it. Murphy is... On a four-fight winning streak. Calderwood was supposed to fight for the belt before losing to Jennifer Maya. She bounced back by beating Jessica I. So I, I imagine the winner here probably is your next challenger to Shevchenko. Um, who do I think wins this? Probably Murphy. She's, she's not the most engaging fighter, but she's pretty good about grinding people out. Uh, featherweight fight. This is a pretty good fight, actually. Movsar Evoyev and Hakim Dawadu. Um, Evoyev is undefeated. He is 14-0. I was a little bit surprised at the split in his last fight when he beat Nick Lenz. I thought that was a lot clearer than that. Uh, Dawadu on a pretty decent winning streak. He's only lost once. Uh, he's unfortunately got a couple of split decisions in his last two fights. At least one of those was dubious. I, I feel pretty good picking Evoyev here. But that's a pretty good fight. Uh, and then the early prelims, let's see, Kenny Pianzad and, excuse me, Panny Kianzad and Alexis Davis. Uh, I mean, I kind of, again, Davis is one of those people who's been around forever. Uh, it's just hard to pick her at this point. But Kianzad has not had a great, yeah, she's won three, won the last three. Mm. I'll pick Kianzad, but eh, again, that, that's iffy. Um, pretty decent lightweight fight. Frank Camacho and Matt Frivola. Uh, I'm okay picking... Camacho's had a rough run of it late. He's 1-4 in his last five. Jeez, maybe I shouldn't pick him. I mean, it's not like Frivola's on a, you know, career-defining run or anything. He's got a split-decision win over Luis Pena that he, he faded hard in that fight. And then he lost to Armin Saruki in his last time out. Yeah, I'm going to pick Camacho, but he's in a little bit of do-or-die territory. Featherweight? Oh, jeez. Who thought this fight was a good idea? Chase Hooper is going to fight Steven Peterson. Um, Hooper got... You know, let's see. He, he tapped Peter Barrett his last time out. Before that, he got... He had nothing for Alex Caceres. Uh, Peterson... 
He hasn't fought since September of 2019 when he had that beautiful spinning back fist knockout. I don't know. If Peterson can keep this on the feet, Chase Hooper's striking is very, very poor. Um... I'm going to pick Hooper, but that's really, really iffy on my part. Uh, lightweight fight, Ferris Ziam and Luigi Vendramini. I'm okay picking Vendramini there, but again, a couple of guys with, you know, not the best UFC records. And kicking everything off, we have a heavyweight fight between Carlos Felipe and Jake Collier. Jake Collier, he beat John Vellante. God, that fight sucked. His fight with John Vellante was terrible. Just terrible. It's a John Vellante fight. They're all terrible. Uh, Felipe won his last two fights. Guess I'm picking Felipe because I'm not. I, I struggle to pick Jake Collier at heavyweight. Just, yeah. Um. So that's a really kind of that's a really hot and cold card. When it's good, it's real good. Some of those fights are really good fights. When it's down, they're really kind of they're really really down. <laughs> In terms of, you know, excitement. They might deliver. Fights could very easily deliver. Uh, yeah, so Saturday, I will have coverage in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. So please do stop by, say hello. I appreciate that. All right, we have some news. We're going to blow through these hopefully pretty quickly. You don't want to be here forever. Uh, I mentioned before, I just came from watching Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul. I did a watch-along for that with Mark Radlich. Mark loves the circus, and this was a circus affair. Um, Floyd Mayweather took that, let that go eight rounds because he wanted it to go eight rounds. Um, Logan Paul, way out of his depth. Um, despite, which should surprise no one, Floyd Mayweather's been boxing since before he could walk. He was punching the speed bag. Uh, and Logan Paul got into boxing a couple of years ago as a means of further monetizing his marketing and troll skills. Um, don't have a whole lot else to say about that, but apparently he made $20 million for this, so you know what, buddy? I salute... This is one of those things that might get me in... People might disagree with me on. Um... Of all the negative things you can say about the Paul brothers, and there's a lot, there's a lot with merit. They're, they have a tremendous work ethic. If you've never, if you're not aware of how much effort goes into what they do, uh, they, again, it's wake up, shoot seven to eight hours of film for a video, spend four to five hours editing. Every day. More or less. Uh, it's... It takes dedication, and it is very hard work. Those two have, again, a fairly high work ethic. That's Their success in that respect is not accidental, and they are very, very good at marketing themselves. As trolls and making people hate them, but at, making, at generating traffic. That's, they're very, very good at it. Their success in that respect, again, it's not an accident. And by all accounts, everyone who talked to them, who was around them when they trained for fights, they take that seriously. You know, uh, they're not walking off the street going, sure, I can box. They're, they're way behind the curve when it comes to professional fighters. Sure, how could they not be? But they're not, again, they are taking this with a degree of seriousness. And I'm, I'm just not going to knock that. And 
look, they if you work hard enough and maybe get a couple of breaks on occasion to get yourself in a position where you can get a $20 million check for something like this, I sal- I'm not saluting their, again, their personalities or who they are as human beings. But they didn't fall backwards into that success. Again, you may not like them, I may not like them. But that's, again, that's not an accident. Uh, let's see, what else do we have for news? Um, bit of news that broke today, actually. Uh, MMA journalist personality, currently attached to ESPN, Ariel Halwani, is leaving ESPN fairly sh- fairly soonish. Um, this is something that I... Ariel Halwani is the biggest brand in MMA news. He has marketed himself as such. He spent a lot of time building contacts and making sure that... Uh, look, whatever you think about him as a personality, and there's people who like him and there's people who don't, and I'm not here to weigh in on that. If nothing else, when he breaks a story, it's it's accurate. Uh, again, whether whatever compromises ethically you, he may or may not have had to make, whatever your stance on that, maybe he did. I don't know. I'm not trying to say anything negative about the guy in that respect. I'm very clear about that. Whatever he, whatever again, arrangements he has, and he's he's pissed off the powers that be on occasion for whatever that's worth. Uh, he's his reporting is trustworthy in the sense that it is accurate. What he's going to do from this uh, again, he's not made an announcement about what's next. Uh, that should be coming, I imagine, fairly shortly. I don't know if he will... It's hard to imagine he goes to a different outlet than ESPN. There's a much better chance he tries to set something up solo. And again, given his fame in the space, uh, he's isn't he like the most followed MMA journalist, I want to say? If not the most, certainly up there. Again, one of the most... One of the biggest brands as far as names go one of and one of the most again trusted in terms of when he says such and such is in the works it's in the works that he has a almost impeccable track record with that i believe and if he he might try to do the solo thing whether that's um again building a some kind of youtube thing a podcast uh a, a substack Something along those lines. There's ways for him to monet to individually to monetize himself individually that could probably pay more than he was making at ESPN. I think the rough reporting on this situation was that he was making about five hundred thousand dollars a year. I think a year. The number th- floated was five hundred thousand, which is good money. But if he can monetize even ten percent of his followers at five to ten bucks a pop. Uh, he'll be making, what, north of a million, give or take? So, I imagine we'll see something like that, but uh, we'll kind of keep an eye on that as that develops. Uh, because Again, he's just a... Uh, whether you like the guy or not, and I've been on both sides of that particular 
argument in terms of sometimes in terms of liking him or not, whether you like him or not, he's uh, a news. What he does in this particular space is going to be somewhat newsworthy. Uh, we have some fight announcements. Let's see. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, Paulo Costa is out of his fight with Jared Cannonier. Kelvin Gastelum has stepped in. Um, I think Costa withdrew over financial disputes. That's one of the things I've seen reported. It could be it could be that it could be any number of things. Um, boy, Gastelum has taken a lot of these fights that uh. You kind of wonder about, right? Uh, I tend to favor Cannoneer over him, but that's just rough. That's a rough reaction right now off the top of my head. And let's see. Okay, I talked about Logan. Let's talk about Jake Paul. Jake Paul has agreed to box the recently released former UFC welterweight champion Tyron Woodley on August 28th for Showtime. This is a step up from Paul, for Paul, if we're talking about going from Ben Askren to Tyron Woodley, and that ben A Tyron Woodley can actually throw a punch. I still tend to think Jake Paul's going to win. Woodley's got a decent punch, and if he connects, he might, he can connect, he might knock the guy out. But Jake Paul's bigger, and Jake Paul's put a lot of effort into his boxing. I tend to think he should be better than he is, given how much time he's put into it, but... Uh, you know, Tyron Woodley is not a boxer. He was a very, very successful MMA fighter. But Tyron's also 40-something or other. And hasn't looked great in his last fights. Um, so... Again, my inkling off the top of my head is Jake Paul probably wins that fight. But Tyron Woodley said he's going to be making his biggest payday ever for this. A few other reporters confirmed that. Woodley made, I think, about $3 million for the UFC. He was on... Um, I forget the number. I forget the number. But the uh, uh, the McGregor-Alvarez card. Big event. He made about $3 bucks for that. He's making more for this. Uh, and, you know... Jake Paul, he might be doing it just to piss off a part of the fan base. Because he's very, very good at that man lives rent free in the headspace of so many MMA fans. It's almost funny. Uh, he's bringing up issues of fighter pay in the discussion around this, and I know you can tell the people who are criticizing him about this disingenuously because they go, "Yeah, says you know, he's only bringing this up to promote his fight." Sure. But he's the highest profile guy that has brought up the issue of fighter pay in the UFC ever. Think about that for just a second. Yeah, he's doing it for self-serving means. Here's a better question. So what? If people pay attention to this and want to address the issue, I don't care that he's doing it to try and get you to shell out more money to watch him and Tyron Woodley screw around. Uh, I, I just don't. Look, I'm, and I'm not rooting for Jake Paul, uh, but, but, one, I, I find his trolling of MMA hilarious. Uh, I, I just do. It's funny. It's, it's annoying on occasion at an event when a bored crowd chants F Jake Paul. 
But that ought to tell you something. Uh, look, for the fir- for the pay-per-view back, he was in attendance, right? The next event that they had fans at, there was an F. Jake Paul chant. Like, it boggles my mind that this many people can be that it shouldn't. I should not be as shocked as I am that that many people are that stupid. But here we are. Uh, so again, I find it hilarious and, you know, somebody else, some, something that was brought up. Jake Paul did the, if he's trying to troll the MMA fan base, he did the right thing. Instead of making fun of Tyron Woodley, who the fan base is a little bit like 60-40 at best on. He made this about the UFC, and the UFC has done such a great job of engendering itself as the only MMA promotion that matters. And developing a loyalty in its fan base to the promotion, not the fighters. That pissing on the UFC is the right way to aggravate the fan base, especially it. Look, people who have been in the UFC for years and generated a lot of goodwill, if they piss off the UFC, will get a segment of the fan base that turns on them. Maybe not the biggest segment, but a segment and a vocal one. If you're an outsider, I think I heard Luke Thomas mention this about MMA fans. And since I am an MMA fan, I can speak to this. We're very, we're a welcoming bunch of people if we sense that you like the sport. But if we sense carpetbaggery, and that might be a term that maybe you, I don't know how outdated the term is. But back, back during, especially during the reconstruction in the United States, post-Civil War. Northerners who moved to the South to help rebuild to relocate to for financial opportunity for whatever a lot of them came in with stuff in suitcases that was made out of carpets and hence the term carpet bag if you came in with your stuff in a carpet you were not a southerner you were not from there you're not part of the culture you were coming in to try and capitalize on the situation and and again the term carpet bagger kind of bled into it became a metaphor or an idiom god forget it's late my brain's not working quite right it became a saying, and it, again, I don't know how outdated it is, but hopefully you catch my meaning now. MMA fans are welcoming if you are part, if you enjoy the product and want to be part of the space. If we sense exploitation, which is, bear in mind, the irony of what I'm about to say is not lost on me one iota. If we sense exploitative behaviors and carpetbagging, the, the, the hackles go up. Uh, this is where I think the Fertitas and Dana White got away with so much crap. Because no one exploits fighters like the UFC does. That No one gives them the same opportunities in the MMA space either, and that's the, that's the weird dichotomy of it. That's the very, very weird dichotomy to try and wrap your head around. But more than anything, the fact that the Fertitas and Dana White were genuinely, in their souls, fight fans let them get away with a lot of crap and build up so much goodwill fight fans especially mma fight fans and this is weird this comes about because of our inferiority complex i've kind of divorced myself from this but mma fans especially if you were around for a while you got that that big chip on your shoulder that us against the world mentality 
that for some reason now persists even though they've been on Fox and now ESPN. <laughs> but for some reason, right? Uh, again, it, it amuses me. But their genuine passion for the fight game, you know, we knew they weren't carpetbaggers, right? And Logan, uh, Jake Paul is not is not an MMA fan, or certainly doesn't present himself as such. I, again, I can't speak to what the man does in his private time, but doesn't present that way. Uh, doesn't even really present. He's not a real boxer, and I don't mean that disparagingly. He's a what he's doing is uh, like a stunt boxing. I think is the best way to phrase it. I've said that before. He's engaging in the activity of boxing, which is a physical activity and is dangerous. And what he's doing, believe it or not, is to be respected on some level. You might hate his personality. I might hate his personality. You might hate his marketing tactics. I might hate his marketing tactics. The man is training and getting in the ring to fight another person. And uh, look, that's more than the vast majority of us will ever do in that in that particular capacity. Most people, they go to the boxing gym and they don't like it because it's hard work, it's physically painful, and yeah, look, again, is the number of, let me put it this way, if your complaint about him is he leveraged his celebrity to jump over the normal process of getting to uh, monetary solvency and viability in the fight business... You better not have said the same. You better have said the same thing about CM Punk. You absolutely better have held that same level of disdain. And maybe you don't because you came from pro wrestling and you liked CM Punk as a pro wrestler. Maybe you didn't because you were willing to cut the UFC more slack than you are whoever Showtime for promoting Logan Paul and uh, for promoting Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley. I don't. Understand your own hypocrisy is all I'm asking you to do. And maybe it makes sense to you. Maybe maybe this is purely emotional. Again, you like CM Punk, you don't like Jake Paul. Fine. Those si- but those situations are not at all dissimilar. Punk leveraged his celebrity at a time when the UFC's pay-per-view business was in a slump to bypass the normal circumstances by which you try to make money at a name in this sport and engaged in celebrity stunt mixed martial arts fighting. It was under the UFC's banner, but he fought a guy who was like 2-0, and and then fought a member of the press corps who was 0-1. Someone tell me how that's appreciably different from Jake Paul boxing Nate Robinson and Ben Askren. Because you can't. You just can't do it. They're, they're, they are, they're not straight apples to apples, but they're real close. And, again, Jake has pissed off the MMA fan base by, again, being a little bit of an outsider and pissing on the promotion, not the fighter. That will rile up the MMA fan base faster than just about anything. If you are an outsider or you're perceived as an outsider and you're not making fun of a fighter... Because no fi- almost no fighter is universally beloved. Again, Tyron Woodley's a best case, 60-40, favorable in the UFC. Right? The UFC fan base, that's, that's kind of our relationship with Tyron Woodley. 
mostly negative. And if so, if Jay comes out and insults Tyron Woodley, a segment of the fan base might try to stick up for him as our guy. Most of it's going to go, yeah, Tyron sucks. Which is not true. The man's a former champion and no worse than what the third best the third best welterweight of all time, third or fourth. Like it's him and Matt Hughes fighting over that spot below GSP and Kamaru Usman. That's kind of it. So the man doesn't suck at all. But he turned in some terrible fights. There's no getting around that either. But Jake pissed on the UFC. And again, that's going to there's a segment of the fan base that doesn't that does not like the UFC as a business entity. But it's small. And it's those of us that wind up looking a little bit too long and a little bit too much. Most of the fans go, the UFC provides me MMA content. They saved this sport. They built this sport, which is... There's a lot of hey geography that goes on there, but there's a fair amount of... But there's a lot of truth, too. And how dare you, YouTube whippersnapper, boy Tyron Woodley can throw a punch, he's going to knock you out. And you know what? Good job, guys. You... Uh, <laughs> that, that's certainly a stance you can take. Uh, I devoted way too much time and energy to that particular second, <laughs> to that particular bit, but that's my thoughts on that, such as they are. Um, okay, I think that's everything. Let me check Twitter one more time, and then we will get, get into plugs and get out of here. All right, nope. Nothing crazy is broken since the end of uh, Mayweather and Logan Paul, so let's... Get into plugs and get out of here. This last week, I did some... I had a few podcasts. Uh, let's see. There was a Damn You Hollywood for A Quiet Place Part 2. That was myself, Jason Teasley, and Alexis Haina. There was a Damn You Hollywood for Cruella, the live-action movie starring Emma Stone, on Tuesday. That was myself, Alexis Haina, and Mark Radulich. You can listen to us talk about both of those. Um, just heads up, I hated Cruella. You can hear me talk about why on that particular episode. Uh, and this coming week, I will be part of a Metal Hammer of Doom on Wednesday for the doc. The, uh, the <laughs> there's a group called Doctor Colossus with a Simpsons-themed album that I and that's when they bring me on. This particular one is called "I'm a Stupid Moron with an Ugly Face and a Big Butt and My Butt Smells and I Like to Kiss My Own Butt," which is a great quote from Mo Sislak on a Simpsons Trios of Horror short. So, uh, we'll be, I'll be talking about that with Mark on the Metal Hammer of Doom. That's my only podcast this coming week. I'm going to be off, for, I'm going to enjoy not doing them. I will have, however, my usual spate of coverage. Monday, eight, oh, that's the other things I did last week. I tagged in on short notice twice last week. I covered WWE Raw on Monday. And then Thursday, I covered... Uh, Impact Wrestling's Thursday show, which I forget what they call. I think it's just Impact. So you can find both of those in addition to my regular spates of coverage, uh, that being AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW's Underground Rears on Wednesday, and WWE SmackDown on Friday. So, yeah, I did some stuff. This week, again, same bit, same deal. Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW Wednesday, Friday, uh, Friday Night SmackDown on Friday. And then, of course, Saturday, UFC 263. 
So if you're interested in any of that, you can find me in the wrestling or MMA zones of 411mania.com, depending on what I'm covering. Thank you all very much. We'll be back next week to review UFC 263, and we will preview UFC on ESPN 25 when Dan Ige fights the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. That's actually a pretty darn good fight. Who else is on that card? Marlon Vera is in kind of a do-or-die fight. Alexei Olenek and Sergei Spivak might be amusing heavyweight action. Um... Matt Brown and Diego Lima might be okay. Other than that, though. Um, Tugir Ulan-Bekov was actually a pretty decent... A pretty decent prospect. Yeah, okay. It's kind of a weaker card, but that's what we got. So we'll get a full preview next week. I hope very much to see you all back here then. Until next time, everyone, thank you again very, very much. I always appreciate everything you do for me. Uh, again, however you interact with the product, please share. Biggest thing you can do to help. I'll see you all then. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.